perfect? Bang on my chest if you think I'm perfect. Go ahead, bang on it. No heart? You gotta have heart. Miles and miles of heart. This is Patchwork Heart Ministries' Young Catholics Respond, brought to you by Breadbox Media. Now, here's your host, Bill Snyder. Thanks, Adam, and welcome to the program, everybody. I am Bill Snyder. This is Young Catholics Respond, and thank you so much for being a part of our program today. Uh, I don't want to spend too much time talking about ourselves today because I have an amazing guest with me. Uh, you're very familiar with him. His name is Dr. Scott Hahn. He is the uh, Father Michael Scanlon Professor of Biblical Theology and the New Evangelization at Franciscan University of Steubenville. He is the founder and president of the St. Paul Center, an apostolate dedicated to teaching Catholics to read scripture from the heart of the church. Dr. Hahn has been married to Kimberly for 40 years. They have six kids and 19 grandkids, and two of their sons are currently in priestly formation with the Diocese of Steubenville. The author and editor of over 40 popular and academic books, Dr. Hahn's works include best-selling titles, Rome Sweet Home, The Lamb's Supper, and Hail Holy Queen. His most recent release is titled Hope to Die, The Christian Meaning of Death and the Resurrection of the Body, which we will be discussing today. Welcome, Dr. Hahn, to Young Catholics Respond. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, you're welcome, Bill. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, you know, um, this book, Hope to Die, is just absolutely fascinating. And uh, as, as I mentioned to you right before the broadcast, I, I said it's a lot more than, just about than death. You know, it's about uh, the the human body and how we're to treat it. And uh, it's, it, it's such a beautiful book. I, I kind of want to delve into... Um, the, the importance of that. And, you know, in the very beginning, you talk about three moments, uh, birth, marriage, and death, uh, as kind of these guideposts of, of the human body and, and what that means. We you just unpack that for us a little bit more? Well, first of all, you put your finger right on the pulse because those are the three moments of life where you can see what life is all about birth, obviously, a wedding where the two become one and then they bring forth life. And then when we lose this life and pass into the next, suddenly everything becomes sensible in the light of eternity. But I think what you're also pointing to is our ambivalent attitude or relationship to our bodies. Because, you know, we have a love-hate relationship with the flesh. On the one hand, we tend to overindulge and then on the other hand, we sort of feel contempt or ashamed of our bodies. God has a love relationship with our bodies, period. He created us, unlike the angels, which are pure spirits, to have bodies. Like the animals, but totally unlike them, because animals don't know what is true to contemplate. They don't know, they don't choose what is good in order to enter into a loving relationship of interpersonal communion. So we're sort of betwixt and between, embodied. But the body is not like a, a carton that is to be, you know, thrown away. It is not like a box that is meant to be emptied of its contents. The body is an essential part of who I am and you are. And that's why I describe it as a sort of small s sacrament, because a sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible reality. And that's exactly what our bodies are. And so it isn't as though, well, the great ancient Greek philosopher Plato described the body, soma, as a sema that is, as a, uh, a, a tomb or a prison. But no, it really is the means by which we express ourselves. And the proof of that is not only there in the beginning of creation, 
but in the fullness of time with the incarnation, when Almighty God assumes our nature, and not just the higher part, but the lower mortal part, and takes it to the cross, and then to the tomb, and then through the resurrection, the ascension into heaven, so that our own human nature, but also our communion with God, has now gone to a level that was simply unimaginable before. And it isn't just like, wow, we're spectators watching this game. We have been inserted into a mystery with our bodies and our souls, and not just mine and yours, but ours. It's a communion of saints. It's sort of like the best is yet to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really, it really is. Um, and, you know, you talk about two different deaths uh, in the book as well. Uh, this this Bios and Zoe, am I pronouncing that correct? That's right, Zoe. Zoe, mm -hmm. okay. I, I hear that in people's names sometimes. People name their That's children right. Zoe, and it's a beautiful uh, a beautiful thing. Talk to us about the two different um, two different lives that, sure. that God bestows on us. Parenthetically, I should mention that our latest grandchild is Anastasia Zoe, <laughs> which is the resurrection and the life. Hey, there you go. Yes. So we have this fundamental distinction between life that is natural and life that is supernatural, human life and divine life, and it's there in the beginning. In the span of 10 verses from Genesis 2 verse 7 down to verse 17, you can see it play out. God breathes into a man's nostrils the breath of life, and so he has the Spirit of God. And at the same time he takes his first breath, it isn't just oxygen, it's the breath of God, it's the life of God. So in verse 17, when God invites man to partake of all of the trees except for one, he warns him, the day you eat of that forbidden fruit, you will die the death. You will surely die. Well, they ate and they didn't die, unless, of course, they did. God isn't in the business of issuing idle threats. They did commit a mortal sin. And so by preferring the finite to the infinite and spurning God, they snuffed out the life of God in their soul. So the original sin that they commit is a kind of spiritual suicide. The human life that they transmit as parents is truly natural and human, but utterly devoid of the divine and the supernatural. And so we have bios, but we lost Zoe until we're baptized. And what baptism does in restoring us to divine life is described as a resurrection in Romans 6. And in a certain sense, it's more of a resurrection for us than it was for Lazarus after four days, because he simply got his physical body back. His human nature was restored, but we get divine nature. And so this life that is so sacred is both natural and supernatural, but the supernatural is elusive and mysterious, but it's not less valuable than the human. It's more, but it's also much more vulnerable. A bullet to the brain, a snake bite or whatever. But you only lose divine life by recapitulating our first parent's sin, in effect, by committing mortal sin, the sin unto death, 1 John 5, 17. The term death is the exact same term used in Genesis 2. So what we've got to cultivate within ourselves is a love for life, but there's life and then there is life. There's death and then there is death, and the world gets it exactly wrong, or as my mom would say, bass backwards. <laughs> you know, yeah, and then the amazing thing is, uh, and, and you'd point this out so nicely in the book, is that Jesus came to restore the divine life, right? He came to restore right. both lives, but... but he he uses the word Zoe like numerous times, right? Throughout right. his over forty ministry. times in the Gospel of John, I am the resurrection and the Zoe. I am the bread of Zoe. So the life that he comes to give us is not Zoe versus Bios. No, he takes natural life Bios to an entirely new 
level. And again, it's almost unimaginable. He fulfills the old covenant by establishing the new in a way that surpasses the highest hopes of the Hebrew people. Mm. Yeah, that's that, that is so fascinating that he uh, came to almost bring the two together too. He came to unite the 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 soul and the body for forever in in heaven with us too right that's like the end game right the end game is to restore our natural bodies with our uh soul because that's that was the intention so christ when he when, when he does this is actually looking forward to to heaven right that he's um foreshadowing heaven right that's right but there's one more stage so grace not only heals nature of the effects of sin, grace not only restores nature for us to be fully human, but grace elevates nature so that we are made partakers of the divine nature, 2 Peter 1, 4, and we share in Christ's own divine sonship. And so the loss of the Holy Spirit through mortal sin is what the catechism calls the death of the soul. The body catches up, but the death of the body is a kind of anti-sacrament. And so what we've got to recognize is that in the life of grace, the gift of the Spirit that we celebrate this Pentecost is the life that is out of this world, literally, and yet it's also mysteriously present within this world. So when we get our bodies back in the resurrection, they're not just going to be resuscitated, they're going to be divinized. And so when I say the best is yet to come, I'm not even sure I know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you know, uh, I love the imagery you used for that too in the book. Uh, you talked about it being a slinky, uh, the body catching up with the <laughs> with the soul almost. <laughs> I love that. It's like a slinky going down the stairs, um, and such a such a beautiful uh, image with that. Um, you know, one of the things that I would um, like to also chat with you about is just the um, you know you know the sacrifice of of Jesus as the high priest too. Uh, we have to take a, a short break because I thought it was fascinating how you uh, brought in uh, Jesus as the high priest. Um, it didn't happen until he suffered and died on the cross, and I thought that was a very unique insight. But I have to take a short break here sure. on Young Catholics Respond. When we come back, uh, I'm going to continue uh, talking with uh, Dr. Scott Hahn on this episode of Young Catholics Respond. Don't go anywhere, folks. Patchwork Heart Ministry is committed to sowing hope into broken hearts by helping young people encounter the love of Jesus Christ and His Catholic Church through prayer, storytelling, and media initiatives. We invite you to prayerfully consider supporting this mission financially. Mail your tax-deductible donation to Patchwork Heart Ministry at P.O. Box 563 Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, zip code 53147 or visit patchworkheart.org to donate online. That's Patchwork Heart Ministry, P.O. Box 563, Lake Geneva, Wisconsin, 53147, or online at patchworkheart.org. Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network present Hear Your Faith, a brand new audio subscription service that features a growing collection of uplifting Catholic audio choruses, talks, and other exclusive content to help you grow deeper in your faith and knowledge of Catholicism. Subscribe today at patreon.com slash patchworkheartministry. Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network invite you to discover your mission. A brand new in-depth monthly video series 
featuring engaging Catholic speakers who will challenge you to live your life abundantly. For only $25 a month, you will receive a personal monthly mission, including three full-length inspirational talks that build upon a new theme each month. Sign up for the Discover Your Mission tier at patreon.com slash patchworkheartministry today. The St. Raymond Nonatus Foundation for Freedom, Family, and Faith offers prayerful accompaniment for those who are affected by divorce and separation. We offer free online support meetings for those affected by divorce and for adult children of divorce. You can learn more about us at nonatus.org. That's N-O-N-N-A-T-U-S dot org. Text or call 215-870-9913. Judy Hare was a bankrupt, homeless, drug-addicted college dropout on the brink of divorce, but is now a seminary graduate and devoted wife and mother of four children. What happened? Find out in her autobiography, Shattered, How God Restored My Heart and Life. Her journey of faith has been called brutally honest, truly inspiring, profound, heartbreaking, and life-changing. Shattered is available now for only $15 on her website, judyhair.com, on amazon.com, or at your local Catholic bookstore. As Judy says, it is never too late to become the person you deserve and desire to be. So stop wishing for change and start doing something about it by reserving your copy of Shattered today. Hey everyone, it's Anne DeSantis here to tell you about my new online TV show called Journeys in Faith. Thanks to Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Radio, I'll be interviewing some amazing guests who will share with all of us their journeys in faith. It's going to be great, and I can't wait for you to be introduced to some truly good people who are working hard to bring deeper faith to others. It's all about relationship with God and living out our mission as intentional disciples. Join me on Fridays, Eastern Time, for Journeys in Faith, 8.30 to 9.30. Subscribe at Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry on both Facebook and YouTube. I'll see you Friday, and have a great week. God bless. Our Blessed Mother wants only the best for her children, and has given us a special place where she promises to help all those who appeal to her motherly love and protection. Telling Saint Juan Diego that, Here, I will alleviate the sufferings of all those who love me and seek my protection. That holy place is now the site of the beautiful Shrine of Our Lady of Guadalupe in Mexico City. If you would like to learn more about how you can visit this special place of grace, please visit vivaguadalupe.org for more information. Our Lady may be calling you now. Your heart is always beating, but you never have to think about it. Welcome back to Young Catholics Respond. Once again, Bill Snyder. Welcome back here to Young Catholics Respond. I'm Bill Snyder. Today I'm blessed to be joined by Dr. Scott Hahn. And uh, we're talking about his brand new book, Hope to Die. Um, and this book is just fascinating. Uh, it has so many aspects of um, the human body in it and, and what the human body is meant to do in this life and how it is to be transferred into the next to be glorified in the next. So I really encourage you all to take a 
deep look at this book. Get a copy of this book, uh, however you get it, at your local Catholic bookstore or online. Uh, it's, again, called Hope to Die. It's by Dr. Scott Hahn, my guest today. And, Dr. Scott, um, I, I want to talk with you, just as I teased right before the break, um, about Jesus as the high priest. Um, and, and you mentioned in the book that uh, Jesus as high priest is not really an eternal thing. It only came after his uh, suffering and death uh, on, on the cross. Can you talk with us a little bit about that? Because that's the first time I have heard that. Um, and I thought it was an, a unique insight. Well, the book of Hebrews is the only one of the 27 in the New Testament that is expressly asserts that Jesus is priest, high priest, our high priest in heaven, our royal high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I've been studying that for about 40 years or so. It's the climax of my own doctoral thesis, Kinship by Covenant, that's available from Yale. The, uh, the discovery for me is really the main street that led me to become a Roman Catholic that uh, in the Old Testament, you have the priest, the altar, the temple, and the sacrifices. And all of those things are like spokes that converge upon the hub of a wheel. But in this case, the hub is Christ. Christ is so glorious, you almost have to break down the various parts of the mystery. And so when you see him die and rise and ascend into heaven, he does so as the royal high priest. We just finished celebrating the ascension. When he lifts his arms and blesses them, that is a high priestly gesture. And that's why they go back to the Jerusalem temple, not sad, but rejoicing. And so what is Jesus doing in heaven? Well, he's offering himself. What else is there? Cattle, sheep, and goats? I don't think so. So his glorified body is the body of both priest and victim. But the state of the victim is not dead or dying. It is raised and alive more than we are. And so mm -hmm. this is the Paschal mystery. And this is the key to understanding the resurrection of our own bodies. I used to think the Eucharist was just a meal on Holy Thursday. But if the Eucharist is just a meal, then Good Friday is just a Roman execution. I discover that only if the Eucharist, as the Passover of the New Covenant, is where the sacrifice was initiated, can we understand how the early church came to see Calvary as where that same sacrifice was consummated. But if mm -hmm. the Eucharist transformed that execution into a sacrifice, it's Easter Sunday that transforms that sacrifice into the Blessed Sacrament. Because the Holy Eucharist, it's the same body of Christ that was in the upper room, the same body on the cross, and the same body that was buried in the tomb. But the body of Christ that we profess, the real presence thereof, his body, blood, soul, and divinity, is precisely the resurrected body, ascended into heaven, enthroned at the right hand of the Father Almighty. And he comes again and again to give to us blessing and power and spirit. The Eucharist is the resurrected body of Jesus. It is the sacrament of our resurrection. It is the means by which Jesus plans to fulfill that promise he gave one year earlier to the disciples in the Bread of Life discourse there in John 6, when he said, my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, I will raise him up on the last day. I mean, when I eat food, ordinary food, I assimilate it to my body, burgers, fries, salad, whatever. But when we receive Holy Communion, Christ's resurrected body assimilates us to his immortal flesh. Yeah. It's the other way around. What a beautiful mystery. So we can see that when we receive the Holy Eucharist, we are partaking of a heavenly banquet. We are celebrating with our high priest and our, the altar and the sacrifice, something that has represented the fulfillment of everything that God prepared since the beginning. 
And so for us to see in the Eucharist the resurrected body of Christ is to also see our future glory. We speak of the Eucharist as the pledge of future glory, and not just in some generic sense, but very specific and personal for each and every one of us. And so, you know, when you plant a seed, it's perishable. But as St. Paul speaks of the resurrection, it is raised imperishable. And so the Eucharist is the means by which God is going to transform our bodies and make them just like his. Absolutely fantastic. And I, and I want to focus on that, making his body uh, just like, or making our body just like his for a moment, because um, you you also talk about the stories that our bodies tell, right? Like our you, the the glorified body. What what does the glorified body look like uh, according to the the saints? Because there's there's some unique insights in the book into that. And I know we can't exactly know. <laughs> Neither of us are uh, dead We're yet. Yes. Uh, but 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 what does that look like in the insights of the saints? Well, we, we see it again triggered by the resurrection, which is more than Jesus' corpse being resuscitated. It's more than his innocence vindicated. It's more than the fulfillment of prophecy. Christ's humanity is divinized by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's made communicable to us and edible by us. So it's not just divinized. It's going to be divinizing us in the process. And so our glorified bodies will be like his, but actually his glorified body in heaven exceeds the glory that the disciples witnessed in the resurrection. And so when you see the glory of Jesus' resurrected body in the opening chapter of the Apocalypse, John, the beloved disciple who reclined on his breast, falls on his face as though dead. Jesus has to say, be not afraid, stand up, you know. And, and this is what awaits us all, to share in the glory of Jesus. He didn't come to earth, become man, suffer, die, and rise to get more glory. He's God, he can't get any more glory. So why go to all of the trouble? It wasn't for himself, but it was for us. And so the ancients and the medieval speak of the resurrected bodies that we will have in glory as being impassable. Of course, we can't suffer or die anymore, but they're also going to be subtle. They're going to be agile. They're going to be subtle. And so the, the greatest athlete in human history would be like nothing compared to the lowest saint in heaven. The resurrected body of the weakest saint in heaven will surpass the greatest athlete in the Olympics by a 10,000. And again, this isn't just rhetoric or hyperbole. This is the truth of what we mean when we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body. And likewise, the communion of saints isn't just going to be a staring contest. We're going to see God as he is, and that is awesome. But God is a father, and so we're going to hear each other's stories and begin to recognize, wow, you were on that plane with me, or you were on that bus, or we were at the same World Series game. It's much more comprehensive than that. We're going to share all of our stories and see them through the eyes of God the Father and realize it's one story. It's his story. It's salvation history. And the first minute of heaven is going to be more joyful than the greatest family reunion or vacation we ever experienced on earth. This communion of saints is what the resurrection brings about. It's the fulfillment of the plan of God the Father Almighty. He's going to bring us into his own family and show what this kind of joy can really be all about. You know, that's that's amazing. And um, I, I'm, I'm hoping that my siblings are listening to this. Both of them are Division One athlete swimmers. And um, I am, do not have an athletic bone in my body, so I am, I, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, they're listening because I'm going to be a better athlete when I get to heaven, I promise. Um, I, 
Yeah, and you heard it from Dr. Scott Hahn. Anyway, um, I, doc, Dr. Hahn, I also want to talk with you a little bit about um, how how the um, how the power of the mass can help our loved ones. There's a lot of people out there, you know, in our in our earthly bodies um, that obviously it's sinful. Obviously, we have you know a concupiscence, but what happens? Uh, after we pass away is we have to sometimes in, go into, enter into purgatory. We have, we have to pray. We have to have hope for our loved ones. But the Mass, you mentioned, really is in, in the last uh, postscript of the book, is the most powerful means in which we can help those people who've passed away uh, pri- you know, you know, before us. So uh, talk with us a little bit about the power of the Mass in relationship to those of us who have, uh, who have loved ones who died. Yeah, well, thank you, Bill, because I do believe that we have neglected for decades what all we can do for the sake of our departed loved ones and those who are departed that we didn't even know. I mean, we are to form a family forever, and so we ought to kind of allow charity to awaken in our hearts. We can pray for the dead. We can offer our sacrifices and suffrages for them. But the single most powerful thing we can do for our beloved departed, the dead, is the holy sacrifice of the Mass. That's why customarily, you not only arrange to have Masses said for the departed, but you will almost always hear the name of some departed one for whom the Mass is offered. If we could see it through the eyes of our guardian angels, we would recognize that the souls in purgatory are being purified, they're being purged, and they experience a joy that comes from the certainty that they know they're gonna end up in heaven and see God. On the other hand, accompanying that joy is also a pain that is more severe than anything any of us could have experienced on earth. And so that is not only mitigated, that can be dramatically transformed and diminished through the holy sacrifice of the Mass. There are a lot of other things, too, that I touch upon that have to do with the the bond of charity that unites the living and the dead, especially our own departed loved ones. When we look at burial practices in ancient Christianity, we see that the pagans threw them over the city walls and let the dogs eat the bodies, or they burned them. Cremation was common. But with the rise of Christianity, the sacred reverence that is shown to bodies like Jesus, but also the saints, the martyrs, and everyone else became almost universal. In the last two centuries, anti-Catholics like the Bolsheviks, the Socialists, the Communists, and the Masons kind of, you know, reappropriated cremation and weaponized it against Christians. Now, a lot of people cremate without any anti-Catholic intention. But when we look more closely at how God treats the body, we can see why universally Christians have always led the way in treating the body with reverence. So if you're moving out of a house to a new one, you don't burn the old one down. And especially in this case, because it isn't that we're going to get an entirely different house, Our body will be planted like a seed, perishable. It will be raised imperishable. We testify to the truth of the gospel, not only by our words, but our deeds. Our actions speak louder than words. And part of the process by which the Roman Empire was converted and transformed was the amazement and awe they felt when they saw how Christians treated the bodies of their departed and also the pagans themselves. These guys really do believe in the hope of the resurrection. And I think it would be a fitting way for us to restore that faith, not only by our prayers and having masses said for the dead, but also as we anticipate the ways in which we can retrieve these sacred customs and really show 
great reverence for our departed loved ones in this great moment of transition where life is not ended. It's only changed and not for the worse if you die in a state of grace, but immeasurably better life awaits us. And so let's express that hope even in the midst of grief by rediscovering the beauty of these Catholic customs. Wow. Just amazing. Uh, for our listeners, uh, you're listening to the voice of uh, Dr. Scott Hahn. And I, I, I want to ask you, Dr. Scott, just about uh, where people can go and find out more about the book and get more information about this book and purchase it. Uh, go ahead and give us all the websites and details and everything as we kind of wrap up the interview. And, and thank you so much for spending time with me today on Young Catholics Respond. Uh, can't wait for another book and to have you back. Well, first of all, you're so welcome. Thank you for the privilege and joy of being together. Second of all, as you said at the outset, the St. Paul Center for Biblical Theology is where I would encourage all of our people to go. The St. Paul Center uh, is just stpaulcenter.com, but we have resources for beginners, intermediate, advanced, our mission, reading scripture from the heart of the church, biblical literacy for lay people, biblical fluency for our teachers and for our clergy, but Hope to Die is available there. And I would encourage all of our audience to go to stpaulcenter.com where they can pick up a copy of Hope to Die, The Christian Meaning of Death, and The Resurrection of the Body. Awesome. Dr. Scott Hahn, thank you so much for being with me today on Young Catholics Respond. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you. Thank you. You're welcome. God bless you, Bill. Well, this has been an episode of Young Catholics Respond. Until next time, from all of us here at Patchwork Heart Ministry, I'm Bill Snyder. Keep beating to your Catholic heart. This has been an episode of Young Catholics Respond. For more information about our program or to be a guest, visit patchworkheart.org, email info at patchworkheart.org, or call 424-704-3278. That's 424-704-3278.